So, hi, Kim. Welcome to the Naked Dialogue podcast. Um, today, we will be discussing Lacanian psychoanalysis very broadly. So, how are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. We also have Abraham here. How are you doing? Hello, how's it going? I'm fine. Good, good. We're all fine then. This is marvelous. Yes. So, how do we begin with this thing? Uh, we can uh, start uh, uh, first. First of, first of all, uh, you can tell me uh, what uh, if you saw a, f- a, f- a phrase or a word uh, which uh, is interesting in the interview. Uh, you can we can talk about it. Yes, <clears throat> what I found very interesting was repression over suppression. That segment mm-hmm. and that. You know, Freud necessarily did not say that repression comes from suppression itself, mm-hmm. which was very interesting to me because at first anyone would think, you know, that repression is very much suppression itself, but he distinguishes both of them and means that it's repression more than it is suppression. So that's something, yeah, that's something that I found particularly interesting in that. Yes. Yes, uh, Lacan is uh, he is uh, a structuralist, and uh, I will see. I think in this uh, quote that you are speaking about, uh, it's simply um, a proof of his structuralism, in the sense that, uh, uh, for example, you have the case of transference in a psychoanalysis, and for a Freudian viewpoint, uh, transference only happens uh, in a certain context. For example, uh, between two people, and uh, for example, you have uh, also the patient and the psychoanalyst. So the transference and maybe counter transference, and that's it. For Lacan, uh, transference uh, from a structural viewpoint happened, happens every time. Uh, there, there is no time for transference. So uh, when he speaks about uh, suppression, uh, I think he, so we need to know the context. Uh, the interview was made, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was made in uh, 1972. So it was uh, not long ago. Uh, it was just uh, after um, uh, May 68. And uh, Jacques-Alain Miller was um, uh, a Maoist. He was a Maoist. He was still a Maoist even after uh, 1968. So uh, in this context, uh, Lacan is precisely uh, referring to, uh, if you know a little bit about uh, May 68, you know the slogan, the, the, the famous mm-hmm. phrases of May 68. For example, it was, uh, uh, I, will, uh, I will say it in French and I will uh, translate it, uh, il est interdit d'interdire. So, uh, or, or uh, uh, yes, so it's the most famous one and uh, it means it is forbidden to forbid. And uh, Lacan, if you want, he, he, he translated it, he, he rephrased it. He, he, he formulate it in another fashion. He said, uh, "Il est interdit d'interdire" means uh, "jouit," but "jouit" in the sense it's an order you, you must enjoy. And uh, in that sense, he's trying to prove how uh, the concept of jouissance is not something like, "Oh, we need to uh, fight against a certain type of society," and then it will be. Perfect and will be better. And, and uh, for example, it's, it's the goal of communism. 
and so in the in La in Lacan Lacanianism, precisely because it's a structural doctrine, and, and, and it's also related precisely to transference, uh, there is no such a thing like a perfect society when you can really enjoy. And uh, even when you say, because precisely, even when you say enjoy, you need to enjoy, it's an order. And so uh, the, the sur moi, uh, in English, I, I forgot, uh, I forget, sur moi, it's um, in English, uh, the, you know, the, the moral in the, you have the, the self and then uh, the, the sur moi, the, the, the above me. Sorry? The above me would be a good enough translation. Yes, yes, precisely the, the above me. But I, I believe there is another, another translation in, uh, in English. Uh, from George Orwell. Yes. Uh, uh, so I believe that the sur moi is maybe uh, the super ego, voilà, uh, super ego uh, okay. in English. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So uh, uh, the, the super ego can be, uh, in, that, in that session, it can be enjoy. So what Lacan is doing, I believe, and it's very, uh, let's say, it's a basis of his doctrine, is to try to uh, make an explanation of what uh, jouissance is. And precisely because jouissance is not simply, it's, it's very um, close to this kind of, uh, precisely, we can not really make the difference between uh, enjoy as an order and enjoy as a, as, wish, as, as a jouissance, as Lacan uh, understood it. Yeah, we are uh, to enjoy. Like, and, and we can take the Sartrean maxim of we are burdened to have freedom and put it in the context of freedom of, as this absolute goal or condition for the human being in actuality, jouissance. Mm. Mm. Yes. It is the condition of the human for, for the subject to enjoy. Yes. But yeah, precisely. Because uh, uh, when you when you hear you know uh, enjoy you, you say ah Lacan must be uh, hedonist hedonistic he must be uh, epicurean and so on. And right. in fact uh, in fact no he's absolutely not uh, in that sense he is more like uh, like Spinoza because today uh, I don't know if you know this but uh, Spinoza is very uh, fashionable uh, there is a lot especially in France there is a lot of uh, uh, Spinozian uh, and uh, and they are always uh, a little bit uh, hedonistic. Uh, the most famous one is probably, uh, maybe you, if you know the Pankic, you probably heard about him. It's uh, Clément Rosset. He's not really famous in uh, outside of France, but uh, he's still um, a great philosopher. But he's very Spinozian and he, he has some kind of hedonistic uh, uh, aspect. Uh, but if you, for example, if you look at the life of Spinoza, uh, Spinoza was completely, completely the contrary, and his philosophy is in fact quite, uh, even it's, it's philosophy, because we can always say, well, yes, he was a, a kind of, uh, he, was, he was a little bit like an ascetic, a little bit like a priest, but uh, yeah. his philosophy might be uh, hedonistic, but no, 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 even his philosophy is, in fact, it's very, uh, what should I say, it's very uh, abstract and very also ascetic. Uh, and today, it's, it's something that you do not see among uh, Spinozian. Yeah, the, but the contrast between being a monk or an ascetique uh, in, in your day-to-day -day life versus enjoying it and, and being more Dionysian in some way, how do you think that a contrast is, or, or that line is traced in psychoanalysis? Uh, can you repeat, please? The same way that there is this asceticism or this uh, mm. that one can achieve in order to 
mm-hmm. control all the instincts? How or where is the hope for controlling the instincts in psychoanalysis? But in, 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 in psychoanalysis, there is no such a thing as a control of instinct. Right. Uh, it's not uh, 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 Lacan. Uh, I don't know about uh, if uh, Freud spoke about it, but Lacan is not uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius or uh, or uh, he, he hasn't any uh, kind of will to. And in fact, uh, if you know a little bit of the biography of Lacan, he was uh, he said himself. He said during a, a meeting, a, a diner, I believe, he said, "I I am uh, six euros in my head. Six euros in my head." Okay. Uh, you know, there is a lot of anecdotes. Very, very funny. For example, Lacan was in a, a restaurant. He wanted something, and he, he, so the, the the boy, the, the the people who work in the restaurant, yeah, the waiter. Uh, yes, the waiter ignoring, ignoring him, and so he was so angry. He he, he started to shoot, to shoot. Ah, it's very throwing like, uh, a tantrum like a like a toddler. Yes, exactly. Like a toddler, he, he was screaming, uh, and there is also also he, he hated. Uh, the red light, you know, in, when you drive your car, the red, the red light. And so, for example, so at this time, it was the 70s, 60s, 70s. So there wasn't a lot of red light in, in France and in Europe. Uh, and, uh, and so he, he always tried to avoid red light. But sometimes, for example, when there was a red light, so either he ignored the red light or if someone was driving instead of him, what he did was simply to quit the car when there was a red light. Unbelievable. Yes, I can relate to some degree. I I have the compulsion to cross the. It's always jaywalk. I I compulsively jaywalk. Anytime that the little man is red, I I cross the road. (laughs) At least I try to. Walking. And so, so as you can see, Lacan himself was quite. um, he has absolutely no um, will, uh, and in fact, he, he was criticized for this because he won uh, today to all the criticizers of Lacan, the, one who, who, the ones who hate him, said he was uh, dangerous because he was a little bit like a sect, like a, like a guru. He, mm-hmm. he, he was manipulating, he was, uh, and in fact, it's true, he, he was very manipulating. For example, there is another anecdote with Deleuze. He invited Deleuze to see him, uh, rendezvous. So Deleuze went to see him. And he said, uh, Lacan started to enumerate, to, to quote all of his disciples. And he said they were, they, they were bad and useless. And uh, at the end, he said, I want some, someone like you. <laughs> of course, it was, uh, it was manipulating. Because, uh, of course, he liked his disciples. In fact, uh, at least uh, Elizabeth Rodinesco said that he liked some of his disciples. So especially Jacques Alain Miller, but even other Jacobert and so on. And so he was simply trying to uh, capture, uh, to, uh, to catch uh, the loser. So, right. And, and in fact, uh, in, uh, when he was excluded from uh, his psychoanalytic school, it was for, in part, partially, it was because uh, he was seen as someone too dangerous to, to do psychoanalysis. He was seen as uh, uh, too manipulative, and especially uh, in regard to transference. He was seen as someone. Uh, who was using transference uh, for his own purposes. <clears throat> Would you speculate that he depended on the analyst's love to some extent? Or do you mean it in that regard? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, but here, uh, the problem is that um, 
there is some kind of uh, dramatization. Of, uh, and here I must say that uh, Foucault was right. Foucault talked about uh, Lacan. He said, uh, in fact, uh, Lacan, the, one, the ones who were terrified by Lacan were the ones who were willing to be terrified by Lacan. Lacan was not by himself a terrifying figure. And I believe that here Foucault is very right. I have nothing to add to this quote. Yeah. Yes, I mean, he has dangerous ideas, but because they are, they're in, they are strangely revolutionary because they are the most orthodox you can get to Freud. Maybe, yes. maybe Freud is the real radical thinker. Uh, for, for his time, for sure, but uh, uh, as you, as, as everyone, as Marx, as, uh, as Auguste Comte, as, uh, as Voltaire, as, uh, uh, with the time, uh, there is some kind of uh, uh, people, are, uh, they, it became a school, so, and in fact, for Freud too, and, uh, but here, I must say, like, why I believe Lacan is maybe better, if you want to say this word better, maybe it's not the right word, but in a sense, it's maybe better that uh, Freud, Freud, it's because uh, uh, even uh, so, Freud has some kind of uh, he was positivist and so on, and he has some kind of uh, methodology and criticism against his his, his own uh, doctrine. So he was he, he could criticize his work, but always on some uh, basis. So when he when he, when he made a criticism, when he criticized himself, it was always to uh, to make his uh, doctrine better, and it was not the, the doctrine in, in itself. It was not. It was only some part of his work. Right. While with Lacan, Lacan, for example, so it was um, probably the the late Lacan. And that's why he's um, maybe better than, than the young Lacan. Um, uh, it's because, uh, for example, it, it was I believe in Louvain. So not 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 the famous. Um, uh, uh, lecture he, he did in Louvain, uh, another one, or maybe it was in Belgium or in Bruxelles, I don't remember exactly. But um, he said uh, something, it's very famous famous today because uh, all all the people who criticize psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis, they always, uh, you know, they take, this, they take the phrase and say, look, uh, Lacan was a, char a charlatan, he was a, not a real, uh, because he said, uh, 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 so he, always his phrases are quite complicated to translate, but he said he said something like, uh, in um, psychoanalysis, we are using words, uh, w bright words, but which mean nothing. And so people were shocked. And even uh, people, for example, you know, because the, the, there was a print of the of the quote, and people said we must delete absolutely this quote because it's so it's too dangerous and it will destroy uh, psychoanalysis. And so uh, I don't I don't know if it was maintained, but we know that he said something like, and is it's not the only one. There are a lot of other um, uh, interview where he or uh, conference lectures when he said uh, we must be careful. Uh, uh, Freud uh, was uh, maybe wrong, and <laughs> something he was even mean. With Freud, he said. Uh, remember, I, he said uh, a propos Freud. He said uh, Freud was a little doctor, uh, just a little doctor, and and we must uh, make we must be cautious with uh, Freud and so on. So the the first quote that he just mentioned. It, is it related at all to his principle of speaking properly, the the well spoken, as yes. you would call it? Yes, but here I must say, 
I don't know if, if it works and if other people can understand it in the sense that it's very, here you have something which is probably quite French. So I'm not saying it's, a, uh, I'm not Heidegger uh, because Heidegger thought that uh, if you, you see Heidegger, Heidegger said, for example, that uh, when French thinkers think, they think in German. So you can see for him, it was a uh, German, German, German and uh, untranslatable. And each, each time he, he was uh, mocking his translators. For example, there is this famous uh, answer to uh, Sartre, uh, you know, because Sartre published Lettre sur l'humanisme and uh, Heidegger uh, answered it through, through uh, Beaufray. Beaufray was his disciple in France. And in, 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 in the letter, he was very, uh, Ironic, he, he, I believe at least uh, it's what I believe. He was very ironic about uh, his translations, and uh, in fact, it's very strange because he says that um, uh, only German could be uh, close to ancient old Greek, but he said also, and I don't know why, maybe he has a reason to say this, but he said that Japanese is also uh, close to German. So <laughs> it's a little bit strange because. Uh, because there was a kind of alliance between Nazi Germany and, and Japan. Right. Sure. <laughs> yes. So, so here I'm absolutely not like Heidegger by saying you must speak French because if you don't speak French, it's not understandable. You will not understand it. No, no. But nevertheless, I believe that in, uh, in the difference between uh, French and English languages is that in French you have uh, it's more strict uh, in the sense that. Um, First, we have a lot of rules, you know, Académie Française and so on, but also we are maybe more um, mean when it comes to language. And uh, if you read, for example, on the internet, people who speak French in France, who are, I mean, not native French speakers, who come to France, they always say, oh, the French people are a little bit mean with me because I am speaking French, but my French is not good enough, and so they are criticizing it. I don't know if it's true, maybe it's a cliche, but what is true is that um, in, in France, we in French, in France, we tend to be maybe a little bit more, uh, for example, uh, and, and it's not, uh, you can see it, for example, in George Steiner. So if you don't know who is George Steiner, it's very, it's very uh, great. Uh, uh, yes, he was American and French, he spoke a lot of languages, so he know what he's talking about. And he said that uh, precisely uh, in English, precisely because it's a kind of, uh, you know, business language, you can, uh, it means that you can, uh, speak with only a few words and you can, uh, yes, you can speak it. While in, in France, you have a kind of uh, 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 literary tradition and what is valued in French is the vocabulary. So the more vocabulary you have, the more you, are, you seem intellectual and, uh, and you are appreciated and so on. And for example, I can give you an example. It's in Quebec, uh, in Quebec, they are, uh, they speak, so of course, they speak French, but they have uh, uh, English speaking mentality in the sense that they don't value the number of words and the vocabulary. And so you have this kind of um, difference between Quebec and France. In Quebec, they don't care about vocabulary, but in, in, in France, uh, they care. So it means that generally when French people hear Quebec people, they sound like, a, I mean, Quebec sound like a little bit uh, dumb for French people, because uh, of course it's, it's mean, and, uh, it's not, uh, don't, I think it's, it's unfair and, uh, and, and so on. And there are also the, there's also the accent, and you know that uh, in accent, it's even worse because uh, French language don't, do not, do not, does not like accent. 
So here, Lacan is in the in a little bit like this in this idea, and that's why I said that maybe for an English speaker, it doesn't work in the same way as a French when you say well spoken because, for example, when I hear myself when I listen to Jordan Peterson, when I listen to I don't know any American when I listen to I can I cannot see difference of vocabulary I can and not that even in the style I can I do not see a difference I see a difference in the charisma Jordan Peterson is very charismatic but his vocabulary is not better than a regular American or maybe yes regular American I will say I will stick to this I do not see a difference. Yeah, well, I think if anything, Canadians may have on average a better vocabulary vocabulary than Americans. Mm. Um, yes, precisely, an American friend of mine said to me that British people tend to be admired by Americans because apparently British people tend to be more literary and so on. Frankly, I've listened to. Let's universalize the concept of the well-spoken and say that if anyone that holds as one of their primary values to speak precisely, then they, they can have this French speaking mentality. Yes, exactly. In the case of Peterson, uh, I haven't read his book, but I've seen many of his lectures and, and many of his recent interviews. And in relation to the last book that, he's, that he published, I think one of his first commandments, because really what it is, is uh, an ethical table of what to do in the, the 12, mm -hmm life one of the rules is be precise in your speech and say always the truth so um yes. at least uh try to say always the truth in in the most enclosed um way possible so that the meaning is extracted the best in, in some way because yes. as, as Lacan says he always speaks the truth um yes but, but here, here says it's quite dangerous the the, the analogy, this is this analogy because when Jordan Peterson says be precise, I believe it's the opposite, the absolute opposite of Lacan. Because here, it, it precisely, it's the difference between, I believe, the French language and the English. I'm not saying again that it's something which is, I believe, it's, it's more like a, a Latin uh, mentality, Latin, uh, Latin people. And again, we must not exaggerate because French, we say French are Latin people, but uh, in fact, uh, it's not really true. Uh, 90, 80 of French people are uh, Celtic, and uh, I mean, of origin, and in theory, of course, because there are a lot of immigrants and so on. But they are uh, Celtic and uh, Frank, uh, Frankish people. So it's not uh, we say Latin, of course, but uh, it's true that there is a lot of Greco um, Roman culture. But we must not uh, exaggerate. Uh, this point. Uh, so here, when uh, Jordan Peterson says that um, to be precise, I believe it's, it's the exact opposite because Lacan is very precise, but in its style, not in the. Here we can maybe make a, a, a difference between Derrida. Derrida made, made this difference, what he called paragon. Um, paragon, uh, maybe you know what it means. Maybe you read Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer wrote a book which is called Paraga um, and Paralipomena, which means uh, so Paraga. Uh, it's a, it's a Greek word, and I believe that the paragon is a, uh, the singular of it. And, okay. in, 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 uh, of course, Derrida was interested by the so difference with, a, with an A, but also it's related to difference, the limit, the borders, and so on. Yes. Uh, so we cannot make, uh, here, here I will simply make a difference between uh, the, the content and the form. 
maybe Lacan, he, when, when Lacan said be well spoken, it might be more related to the form rather than the content. When, while, when John Peterson said be precise, he's speaking about the, the content. And precisely, it's very clear. It's, a, I would say, a scientist. He's a, he's a scientist. So he yeah. said, so he said, you must verify and prove what you say and so on. Well, of course, Lacan. So of, Lacan. But, but still, in both cases of Peterson and Lacan, they're indistinguishable from each other and being an ethical maxim because it's the, you know, the idea of let's speak properly. I, I don't think it, it changes. It, it's, it's the reason why it may be equivalent in form is because you can't, you can't, you don't have the mental wherewithal or capacity to determine each thing that you're saying precisely. It's more the intent and the general intention to speak properly, which, which pulls, uh, the, the content into the form, which, which you're deciding in, in some way or another. Um, so, I mean, I feel like we're, we're demonizing Jordan Peterson a little bit just because he's a positivist. Um, but, but I don't, I don't see it as, as, uh, dramatic opposites, uh, in any way. The, I think that once again, it's it's an it's an ethic, really. It's it's an action. It's it's mm -hmm. well realized yeah. that that truth cannot be conceptualized. Let's try to say it best we can. I, I'm, not, I'm not absolutely not at all uh, uh, diabolizing, uh, demonizing uh, John Peterson. I like uh, I, I, I like John Peterson, no problem. And, and uh, when I say that he is the exact opposite, uh, uh, you must listen to him. It's not me who said that. It's him who said, if you make the, the analogy, you, he will explode. He will literally explode if you said that he is like Lacan. And in fact, he said things which are quite interesting. And I have the quote. Uh, I've listened quite closely. And I have the quote. He said things like uh, very dramatic phrase. For example, in one of his uh, lectures, he said, the, the French philosophers are the worst. He said the worst in the world. Uh, he, he, I believe he said also, France is the only country uh, which have managed to produce the worst coterie of philosophers in the history of mankind. So it's not me. <laughs> when you say a phrase like this, uh, my God, uh, I'm not, not, not the communist, not the Sovietic, not the German Nazi. No, no, French, uh, Derrida, Lacan. Uh, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, in this case, I think it's a pity because I don't think person has given French postmodernism in, in general, structuralism and post-structuralism, probably the attention that, that it deserves. And it, it, it's a pity. I, I, I do agree that I see in, in most uh, American philosophers or North American philosophers a critique of, of the way that, or the complexity of writing of, of French people um, mm. or French philosophers. Um, uh, Derrida might be a radical case of these, um, where he's almost incomprehensible even when he's translated. Um, yes. But it, that's the thing that it is comprehensible to some degree. It's it might be overly exact. It might be overly la mot juste, how Flaubert would would refer to it. His in the case of Flaubert, he would strive for a simplicity of language that was also rich in meaning and and could be highly descriptive of whatever whatever object he was he was trying to transmit. Um, so I think there can be an excess of, of 
the the mot juste, which is why it has to be yeah. ideal. Um, uh, and and in the case of of extreme extreme cases of philosophy, it is I think precisely the sin of being of thinking that you are speaking well enough or, or excessively. Uh, or that you're speaking well when it's not well enough uh, as well. Um, yes. So I think I think the, the there's a satisfaction in saying let's just let's have it as a goal to find those correct words to name things appropriately. We must have it as an ideal maxim because really what it is it's an ideal because it's alluding to a perfection in speech, understanding it as imperfect, but it's still striving towards flawless speaking in both cases, um, regardless yeah. if that goal isn't attained or not. So I want to reconcile Lacan and Jordan Peterson there, knowing that it's already hard enough to do because of their geographic differences. Uh, uh, as for Lacan uh, and Jordan Peterson, I must say that uh, he probably did not read him, uh, or he really maybe did not understand him. Uh, for example, you cannot say uh, Lacan is a postmodernist. Uh, is because Lacan, I don't know if you know that, but Lacan was far right. He was far right. He's, mm. he's political. He was conservative. He was Charles Maurras, if you know who was Charles Maurras. Yeah. Uh, he was a Maurassian and he, vote, and he voted for um, De Gaulle also. And he was opposed to, uh, he, he, it's ambiguous. He was not totally opposed, but he, he was some kind, in some way, he was opposed to it to May, May 68. Uh, and for example, when I see when I see people uh, like Jean-Pierre Peterson who says that uh, who says that uh, uh, Jacques Jacques Lacan is uh, uh, leftist, no, uh, my God, even is, you can see it even in his philosophy. I mean, uh, Lacan wrote article in the thirties, for example, where he criticized uh, precisely uh, homosexual and, and even in his in seminary in his seminary he still criticized a lot, for example, maybe not homosexual, but uh, transsexual. He, he, not transsexual, but what he called uh, transsexualism. He said, uh, uh, and you can see it in, uh, in a lot of his seminary, he criticized uh, uh, transsexualism. And the child of uh, Lacan, uh, Judith Miller, said uh, during, so it was in 2000, 2013, uh, it was during the, de the debate about uh, gay marriage in France. So she was invited by the government to, to, to give advice. And she said, my father would probably have been opposed to gay marriage. Uh, so, uh, so he's absolutely, uh, in, 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 even in his philosophy, in his doctrine, you can see clearly that he is opposed to what we call precisely postmodernism. Yeah, the postmodern age, incorporate structuralism and post-structuralism. Yes. You're being technical. Um, but yes, no, I, I see the, the conflation that it tends to be made with leftism, specifically Marxism and, and post-modern or uh, in general critiques. And it is true that, that Lacan is in, in, that, um, in that boat. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. It's true that they were uh, influenced a lot, where like, like uh, we all know them, even Judith Butler and so on, they were all influenced by, by Lacan. But I must say, uh, if you want my opinion, uh, I've read a lot of Lacan and I wonder how you can be inspired. Uh, of course, you can be inspired uh, maybe by, by his gesture and, and the, the way he did his method and so on. 
because it was a kind of uh, subversion and so on. But um, that's it. I must say, when you read uh, Lacan, I don't know where you can find something which is close, even close to postmodernism. You do not see it. It's well, absolutely. Lacan was very conservative. Hmm? Yes, but uh, yeah, we don't we don't need to mix postmodernism with uh, with some degree of uh, of radical ideas per se to to reach out any conclusion of it. Radical ideas have been existing since always, mm. and I mm. think in the case of the split subject specifically, I think that there's a lot to say there in relation to postmodernism and, and the subjectivity that, that Deleuze might teach us where the subject is spread out in all realms. Um, Here, yeah, uh, between Deleuze and Lacan, it's, again, it's very complicated because Deleuze was Spinozian and Vitalist, while Lacan was... Uh, admired Spinoza and their adolescence. Exactly, exactly. And, and Lacan also, but here you can see why it's very complicated because Lacan was uh, Hegelian and mostly what we, Kojevian, uh, Alexandre Kojev. And, uh, and when he said, when he speaks about the split subject, he's speaking from uh, Kojevian viewpoint, while, uh, while uh, Deleuze is completely the opposite. And then uh, there is the opposite. The opposite to, uh, and even if La, uh, Deleuze speaks about, you know, a kind of imaginary in the sense of Lacan, a kind of uh, imaginary body, which is like, like the body without yeah. organs and so on. Mm -hmm. mm. It, it's, it's quite, uh, I don't believe you can make, uh, it, it's quite close, but it's not totally the same. It's simply a kind of, uh, and here maybe it's, it, it takes its origin from um, the uh, Lacan lecture of Spinoza. But I must say that again, in my opinion, when Lacan read Spinoza, it was, uh, for uh, a conservative uh, viewpoint, it was for because uh, Spinoza. If you know a little bit about Spinoza, he wrote his famous text, which is called Ultimi Barbarorum. He wrote it, you know, when the brothers de Witt were uh, assassinated in the Netherlands during the what we call uh, the Hamp Yard in, uh, in the, the Holland. Uh, was, they were killed during, uh, I believe it was, it was the Hamp Yard, uh, because France was invading the Netherlands. And there was the Orangists, who was a party, they were a party in the Netherlands, and they were for the Stadtkuder, and, and uh, the, the Brothers de Witt were simply, uh, they were for the civil power. Uh, I believe it's a pensionary, so it was a fight against pensionary, they were the, the civil power, and the Stadtkuder was a military power, and so there was a fight in France, in France and most of all, most of friends went in the Netherlands, so it was chaotic, and, and the brothers of Witt were assassinated during this moment by a complot, by a conspiracy of uh, Orangists. And he wrote a text which is called Ultimi, Ultimi Barbarorum, where he criticized a lot because it was very violent, oh my God. You know that the brothers of Witt were literally eaten by the mob. They were killed and eaten by the mob. Uh, if you know, if you I don't know if you went in the Netherlands, uh, you, uh, but if you uh, go there, if you can imagine the, the Dutch people eating uh, their prime minister. Well, so and then Spinoza was very conservative, and in fact, it's, it's something that you do not see among uh, Spinozian today. For example, Deleuze and so on. Deleuze was maybe more moderated than a lot of. Uh, like uh, maybe more moderated than Blanchot or or, um, or other uh, the and so on. Yeah. But uh, Spinoza was still very conservative. He was misogynist. 
he was uh, he, he, he was known to beat his dog. He, he liked to to torture uh, spiders, and uh, <laughs> he was very uh, funny guy. <laughs> so he, I don't, don't believe it. And his philosophy too. Uh, if if we tend to be a little bit Nietzschean, if 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 you read Nietzsche and then Spinoza, and you apply gene genealogy to his philosophy, I'm speaking about Spinoza, Spinozian philosophy, uh, you can clearly see a kind of a relation between Spinoza, the man, the, his body, and his philosophy. I see it, and I see it with Lacan too. And when Lacan read Spinoza, it's in the, in it, it's this perspe perspective, uh, 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 conservative. Uh, mm. Right. So uh, Deleuze might be the one that takes a little bit more from Spinoza as a philosopher. Uh, it's, again, it's quite hard because uh, here, because if you say that, it's a little bit like a Platonician uh, or, or uh, but, but you can see it with Lacan uh, too, in the sense that he was also a kind of Platonician. For example, he was a Plotinus, he was inspired a lot by Plotinus. Yeah. Uh, you know, he said, Lacan said, Yad Lin, Yad Lin. He said it's not translatable. But of course, uh, I mean, uh, Yad Lin, because why? For a simple reason, because you, you know, I know you, you speak French a little bit. Yad Lin, it's not like there is one, because there is one, it's, it, it's, it's like um, it's related to the to being, to being. Why? Yeah, it's, if it's uh, to have. Mm. So you can see, and you know, there is this famous phrase in uh, Lacan. It's in James Joyce. He said, uh, "Here I, I, will, I, will sit, I, will, I will quote it in French because it's uh, you will hear it, it's completely uh, hard to translate." He said, "He said uh, I will try to translate it nevertheless." He said, "Il y a de l'avouement dans le catu. Il y a de l'avouement dans le catu. If I translate it uh, in English, it would be uh, there is right wayness in the you have." So, uh, <laughs> and in the you have the, 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 the to have because for him to have is more important than to be. And here, uh, it's, right. uh, it's uh, so it's Plotin, Plotinus, yeah. but it's, it's also Heideggerian because uh, the difference between uh, the antique and ontology. Right. How, but what what is the Neoplatonic connection there? Uh, the, 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 uh, because you know in the in Plotinus. There is the one. The one is the, yeah. the main uh, uh, in, in the philosophy of Plotinus. It's the one uh, you know, uh, which is fixed, and at the same time, it, it, there is an emanation. Uh, Plotinus called it a, a, a procession, a procession from the one, which irradiates uh, the rest of the world, and, and it, it does not move and so on. Right. And here, Similar fact, to Spinoza and nature, right? That that's <laughs> monism, yeah. In fact, exactly, because a lot of uh, Spinozians were inspired by Plotinus. Uh, mm. Berson was inspired by Plotinus. Uh, Jankelevich was inspired by uh, Plotinus. And so, they were, uh, so yes, you have a lot of Spinozians. There is a link between Spinoza, or at least Spinozian and Plotinus. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Um, what about the uh, union, the uh, the oneians where Lacan makes a comparison between being annoyed and and having the one as something that 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 exists or doesn't but that were cut up and cut up in, in to some extent yeah so it's it's in the interview can yeah. you tell me the, the, the page um I'm, I'm not sure but it, 
let me let's we can we can search it up. Okay. I'm trying to find it in uh, in French. It's a play on words between annoyance, les nuits, and ah yes, I think I. Uh, uh, ah, oui, yes, I, I think I, I found it. I find it. Yeah. Uh, I, just, I, I, I think I found it. Uh, yes, it's, you can see it, it's very Platonician and, and Plotinus also. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I believe. Uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe there is also a kind of uh, Pascalian uh, viewpoint, uh, l'ennui uh, as a way uh, to to make uh, you know, for for uh, Pascal. It's, uh, it's uh, and I, I, I wanted to say philosophy, but I believe that uh, from Pascal perspective and. Uh, Lacan perspective. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe it's the right word, but uh, uh, it might be uh, uh, the right one, uh, maybe. And, and, the, and then, then he's speaking about um, the identification uh, between the other and the one. Mm -hmm. Yes, it might be also um, uh, because for Lacan, as, you, so as I said, he, he was a structuralist, so you have the superego. And you cannot uh, go beyond the superego. So when he said you need to coincide the other and the one, uh, maybe he's using it. At, at, it's very hard because in even you can see this struggle in uh, Jacques Miller when he said it, there is a precise notion in Jacques Miller which is called the the real unconscious, the real unconscious. And the real unconscious. Mm, the real unconscious. The real in the sense of uh, Lacan, the real as a category, Lacanian category. Right. And, and, he, and, he's, he's, and uh, Jacques Miller said, I, I'm struggling, and Lacan was also struggling, struggling with this uh, notion of uh, uh, real unconscious. So maybe when he's speaking about precisely this kind of mystic union between the, the, the one and the other, he's referring to the real unconscious. Hmm. And precisely, uh, it's very simple because the, the real unconscious, it's the, for example, it's James Joyce. That is to say, a way to, 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 to be pleased, uh, to enjoy, uh, as Lacan said, to enjoy uh, through your own world, uh, own words. Um, for example, you, are, you, you James Joyce in Finnegan's Wake, uh, you can see it, uh, and, and he said, uh, Lacan, uh, I must say, I've, I've read James Joyce, but in French, and I must say that I did not like it precisely because it was a translation, and maybe it would have been better in, in English. But yeah. uh, well, it doesn't but, get better, it's still equally as incomprehensible, probably. Yes, yes, yes. maybe not. Uh, I'm not speaking about intelligible, but uh, to play on word, uh, when you play off on word, for example, there is a, a lot of things that I really like in James Joyce. For example, there is a, a, a word that he took from medieval English. It is called the agenbite of Inuit. I will write it. Uh, no, I cannot write it. In, yeah, in, uh, in the chat. Uh, is there the chat in the? Yes, click the chat button. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, 
Uh, yes, I see it. Okay. Okay. And the engine byte of Inuit. So, for example, here you have it's a kind of uh, I don't know if you know what we it is called English with a, with an A. You know, yeah. it's, it's a kind of English but without a French word. Yeah. So, for example, engine beat of Inuit, it means uh, remorse, remorse uh, I believe, uh, of the unconscious, unconscious. I believe it's uh, uh, remorse of the unconscious. I will write it uh, just in the chat too. To be, uh, up. So, you have an engine bite, which means literally again bite, to be bite again. Mm -hmm. And remorse, if you, you know French, so remorse, you, you have. Re, more, uh, more again, right, comes right. from, so it means to be bite again. Uh, so here, so of course, here is not. Um, I mean, it maybe maybe not the kind of pun uh, I was talking about, but it's still uh, when, uh, for example, because Lacan himself took a lot of his pun from medieval medieval French. Uh, maybe not medieval, but uh, uh, from at least uh, Rabelais and uh, Villon and, and so on. So uh, 16th century. And so, uh, in the year, I must say that uh, I really enjoy this kind of uh, words. And uh, apparently, you can find it in in in, in uh, James Joyce. Uh, but of course, of course, in French, you cannot, uh, for example, agent beat, engine bite of in in wit. Uh, it doesn't work if you translate it in. You cannot translate the, the effect of it mm. in, in French. Right. So let, let's connect it back to at which point the unconscious can be tangibilized in, in some way or another, which the connections to psychosis, like in the case of, of James, jo James Joyce, is, I think, uh, quite visible. And, you know, where can we find uh, an unconscious that we can call real outside of the unconscious becoming a visible sky, as uh, James Joyce would put it. I mean, as as Jacques Lacan would put it, um, but as James Joyce would demonstrate it to be, because it, after all, Finnegan's Wake and, and Ulysses is the unconscious in movement somehow congealed into text. Um, mm. Mm. Of course, it, it's the union with the one, but that remains being an affect, the the divine beatitude or a moment of beatitude rather than a life of beatitude is an affect and it's it cannot be put into words the same way that an artistic representation always tries to yes uh, here i believe that you have the, the answer uh, it's really simple i think you have, you have the answer in question uh, 17 uh, and, uh, uh, answer, he gave an answer he said uh, we must be like a saint, a saint. Uh, yeah. Like he's quoting uh, Balthazar Gracian and, and Amlo de Laussé and so on. Uh, I believe it's, it's here, uh, the solution. So of course, then you, you will say to me, oh, yes, but how, do you, how do, do you become a saint? And then Lacan said, uh, he, uh, just after, he said, uh, he said in French, uh, I don't know how it was translated in, in English, but he's, he's making a play of one word between déchet and uh, charité. Deche, so Deche is uh, rubbish, rubbish, and, and, and charity. It's, uh, I don't know if you say it in English, charity, yes. Uh, charity and, and to, rubbish. To be punished in some way? Uh, no, I don't know if it is to be punished. No, 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 I don't think it is to be punished. Uh, 
in, I believe here it's a little bit uh, the sense that here maybe it's uh, Lacan, it's like Zarathustra, uh, you know, with Nietzsche, uh, it's a bit, but it's not to be punished in a, in a you know, it's like a, in a political way or, uh, or sexual way. <laughs> no, no, it's, no, no, it's not to be punished. It's simply um, uh, it's, uh, what what Lacan called objection, uh, objection. No, no, uh, is to live. Uh, as a saint, and uh, to, you know, la, la, as uh, Jordan Peterson would say, uh, to, to leave it with uh, your, your burden, and you leave it with it. But uh, again, uh, maybe it's, uh, it's a bit too uh, mystical. Uh, Lacan, even if Lacan here is a little bit ambiguous, uh, for, for, a moment, for a moment, I thought that Lacan was uh, religious, even if he said that he was uh, not religious. When I read that for the first time, I said to, I said to myself, He's joking. Is in fact, he's religious, and he's uh, because uh, you can see, for example, in some of his letters, that he said that uh, I, I'm I'm working. He said I'm working for the Catholic Church and so on. But um, and for yeah. example, you know that Lacan has a brother, and his brother was a monk. His brother was a monk. Know. Yes. Uh, so he, he, in fact, he was a he, he, he was brought up. He he, he 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 lived in a family, a very Catholic family. From a uh, far far right Morassian Catholic, and when I say Catholic, it's not uh, Catholicism of today. Is when I say Catholic, it means that they were going to mass every Sunday, and it was very very Catholic. Uh, so for a moment, and you know, he, he, Lacan even he, he wanted to, to meet the Pope. Uh, of course, the Pope said no, but he wanted to meet the Pope, and so he said. In, but here, I believe that he, he was manipulative because. Um, he did the same with communism. He, 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 he tried to be, you know, to, to, to be close to Catholic and so on. And, and of course, you have also other kind of ambiguity. For example, when Lacan was in Rome, there is a famous, a famous speech, very famous, when he said there is only one true religion. It's the Catholic one. So no, he did not say Catholic, he said the Roman one. So of course, he's speaking about Catholicism, he's not speaking about... Uh, about uh, paganism or so on. He's speaking about Catholicism, but he said there is only one true religion. And of course, when you read that, you said, oh my God, he's, he's, he's religious, in fact. And, and I remember I, I had a friend who was Lacanian, and he, he read like, this speech, and he said, I'm no more Lacanian, because it's obvious that Lacan is, 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 is doing uh, propaganda, religious uh, propaganda for. And here, maybe we can make uh, 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 an, an analogy between uh, Jung and Lacan. Because Jung himself, so I don't know if Sanjana knows this, but if you read the letters of Jung, Jung was quite Catholic, in fact, because he said, uh, in, in Jung criticized a lot Protestantism because he said the problem with Protestantism is that they, they do not have a feminine element. You know what, what, what Jung called paternity. Uh, so uh, uh, he said there's a lack in Protestantism, and uh, at the time of Jung, you know that there was what we call the, uh, the the assumption assumption of Mary, in the sense that there was um, the Pope made. Uh, 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 I don't know if it was a bull. You know, a bull is a kind of. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know what it is. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yes, and and so he made a, a paper to say that Mary uh, was. Uh, uh, he, he consecrated, he said, uh, uh, Marie has a special place in Catholic theology. And so Jung was uh, very amazed by this. And in all of his letters, he said uh, uh, he is always defending Catholicism 
against Protestantism. So here we may we can do a kind of analogy between, and of course, Jung was also kind of ambiguous because he says that at the same time he defended Catholicism, but in a, uh, in a, on the other hand, he said, I won't convert to Catholicism because it will ruin my work. <laughs> here we can maybe make a kind of analogy between Jung and Lacan. But here I must say, nevertheless, that I'm not convinced, convinced by, by the fact that Lacan was um, religious. I don't believe that Lacan was religious. And even if Lacan wanted to be buried by a priest, I don't believe, I believe it was only by tradition because Lacan was always, uh, he was uh, amazed by tradition and so on, and by the Catholic Church, Catholic Church and so on. And, uh, that's it. I don't believe it was. He was yeah, religious. Yeah. He was. He was clearly very secular, regardless of whatever attachments he may have had, and you know, it may he may have had a poetic, more than anything, connection to Catholicism. I would say. Mm, exactly. It's a good uh, way to say it. Yeah, and yeah, but it's it's hard to find a lot of Catholicism in his works, um, specifically. Uh, but there is. To some, at least I haven't found in him an extreme critique mm. against mysticism um, in, in general, um, which is another point of compatibility with, with Jung. Yes. Um, yes. Because he seems to be somewhat apologetic of the mystics and, and them being able to encounter the one, regardless if it's an, if it's an affect, there is, it is a, a viable mode of jouissance, um, the same mm. way that there are many others, and I would say that within mysticism, many other types of mysticism, where there is a the impossible jouissance of a jouissance for the thing of that which is unrepresentable. Um, and I think I think it's it can be nicely connected to the the idea of the one and having some sort of not only identification between the other and the one or even the lack thereof. Um, it would even be the identification with the one as a subject and how that relates to how you you associate uh, with the other. Um, I think that if the mystic is uh, daring enough to, to want to conceptualize the one in some degree or another, that's when you begin to sin in the jouissance of the impossible which is a hair's breadth away from the 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 type of oral jouissance of of the real and the conscious if not you know being fundamentally the same thing um to some extent i think the the artist and you know in the case of joyce it is a continuous attempt at conceptualizing the one at reaching at some sort of unity that's why lacan also said that it's it's of nothing that uh, a summation of parts is is reached at um, when yeah. talking about the subject or or anything else, because it, it is in that almost impossibility of the subject uh, not being split that as as something inaccessible fundamentally um, yeah. that the artist has to deal with representation and to attempt to to in fact find that unity. So. I, I'm interested in what you have to say about the 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 breed of mysticism, which might even mm. constitute as as the santon, um, mm. and how that deals with the jouissance of the impossible, and and what is the limit there? Uh, as you know, 
uh, I think it was Georges Bataille's sister or, or daughter uh, to whom Lacan was married with, right? Um, I don't know if it was the, the sister or the daughter, but um, uh, the case says that uh, Georges Bataille came up with the concept of limit experience, which uh, is, is the point at which, uh, for example, Charles Baudelaire would say that he would cultivate his hysteria under terror and jouissance, under enjoyment and terror. That point, uh, you know, which is, is the union of Eros and Thanatos as well, um, I think is, is uh, at least an ethic or the, the, the side, the ethical side uh, of the artist that is in fact in contact with the one to some extent or another. So what do you think about, about the limit experience and the impossible jouissance as such? Is it, 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 should we embark on that um, as, as artists or conceptualizers of the real? Hmm. Uh, Lacan was married with um, Sylvia Macles, who was the um, wife of uh, Georges Bataille. Oh. And she, she still has the name, she has the name Bataille, but she was the wife of uh, as for uh, what you said, uh, I will uh, not answer uh, positively, but I will answer negatively uh, for a simple reason. Uh, we simply, I believe here we, the question now is what is the difference between uh, archetypes in Jung, for example, and uh, the, the signifiers in Lacan. Yeah. And here I believe, because as you can see, there is a, in, in Jung and in Lacan, you have uh, mystique. Uh, but, uh, and even, in fact, if you know this, I don't know if you know this, but Lacan met Jung, he met Jung, and, uh, and uh, he, make, he met Jung through uh, the French translator of Jung, who was uh, Roland Quin. Roland Quin was the translator, he, and Roland Quin sent a letter to Lacan, and he said, he said in it, he said, um, between our archetypes, and your signifiers, we are friends. And Lacan answered, never. <laughs> amazing, amazing. That, 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 I think that conceptualizes both of their personalities very well. We can deepen into this a little bit more. I, since we've already referred to a little bit the distinction between what is ontological and what is ontic, you know, in this difference of something that seemingly is, or we, we assume that is, but we don't necessarily uh, believe in its existence, which is similar to our necessary positioning in relation to the unconscious. Mm. I think that the Jung's ontology in regards to the collective unconscious and how it is this very platonic world of forms where concepts exist as such and they are historically and socially spread out um, but have this root in the subject which keeps on being represented in, in these archetypes meaning that there is some sort of cohesiveness between cultures is is not necessarily a, a true ontology but regardless we assume that is that it exists so why don't we uh, introvert the collective unconscious into or Jung's collective unconscious as being isomorphic to the individual unconscious or, or the subject uh, in conjunction mm -hmm. with the unconscious of Lacan. I think that mm -hmm. this would make a lot of sense and I, I agree with you that there is a point of compatibility between the signifier 
and the archetype, but only if the signifier is regarded as purely material, meaning that it has no linguistic connection as such, which is not necessarily that Lacanian. Um, so for example, in, in the case of, of Jung, archetypes get represented because they exist, be it materialistically or idealistically in, in, in the world of ideas, it doesn't matter. Anything that exists materially is still has its form or its archetype in uh, the unconscious. Well, this is exactly how the unconscious works in, in its, in quotes, linguistics, because what arises out of the, the body or out of, out of memory or out of consciousness is precisely uh, this set of signifiers, um, which, are, which are fragments, if anything, um, of, of the original form of the original word. Um, or, or, you know, in the case of, of signifiers, we can also call them words. Um, but a signifier that, that has a connection to a symptom, for example, um, will always have some divested or, or uh, transformed energy um, mm. to it, which is, which is inherently linguistic, but it changes the original meaning of the word. Um, so uh, there is a, a refraction going on between the existence of the supposed unconscious and the words that are used in the same way that in Jung, there is a, a refraction or, or a reflection in the ontology of material existence and the archetypes that arise from it. Do you uh, see the parallel? Uh, again, I will, for me, uh, if you want my opinion, uh, it's, we can uh, formulate it in, in a very simple way, the difference between Jung and Lacan. Lacan, the, the, the perspective of Jung is positive, while the perspective of Lacan is negative, mm -hmm. uh, for a simple reason. Why? Simply because Lacan, as I said, was Kojevian, and Kojevian was famous for his negativism. Uh, uh, so then the, the question will be, and, and here is maybe a very big philosophical question, what is the difference between positive and negative? Uh, and here, I must say that uh, I am quite a bad user, bad you, uh, for, uh, and of course, it, it's his use of the theory of Cantor is quite uh, controversial. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know if you know the, the affair Sokal. If you don't know what it is. It doesn't ring a bell. Yes. Uh, it was people who, who criticized it, uh, who criticized um, uh, philosophers for their use of uh, mathematic, mathematics. Mm. And, um, and um, so, uh, but you used uh, the, the theory of Cantor uh, precisely. And he said precisely what we call one is a kind of operator. And in fact, because of its nature of operator, which is related to what he called sets, the set, uh, settings, uh, not, set, not settings, set, uh, and precisely because of its relation with set, it's very hard because, for example, to, to say it very simply, in the theory of Cantor, you have, you, you say, for example, a set. And when you said a set, you're speaking about one, you're speaking about one thing. You, you are using a singular to name some, something which contains, contains a, pro, a plurality, a, a multiplicity of things. Yes. And precisely in Badiou, you have this relation between one 
Mais précisément, euh, the, the paradox, the apparent, the apparent paradox in the philosophy of Badiou is the relation between uh, Plato, platonic philosophy and at the, at the same time is kind of uh, Deleuzian, maybe not too much, of course there are relations between him and Deleuze, but maybe not too much Deleuzean, but because precisely uh, I believe that Badiou is quite critical of Spinoza, but uh, plurality. And so of course when you read, for example, Badiou, the first thing that you see is the the clash between one and the multiplicity. But I believe that, that this clash that is, is against Heraclitus almost. Yes, it's yeah. inherent to uh, to uh, to. Uh, but uh, I, I believe that here for, for Heraclitus and and, and so on, it's even uh, another topic. And even if I believe maybe here um, the one who, who, who matters. I believe it's maybe Parmenid. I don't know if, how do you say in his name in English, mm -hmm. Parmenid. Okay. Uh, mm. uh, precisely because in, in Parmenid, the, the problem is precisely the, the difference between, and here again we are at the heart of this topic, which is a, a kind of difference between two things which are quite similar. Mm. For example, in, in Parmenid, it's being and non-being. And here, uh, I must say, you, the philosopher who must be read is Bergson, because Bergson wrote a very powerful uh, text uh, on being and uh, basically on Permidid. And yeah, there is also uh, uh, Clément Rosset. And here, I, I believe that Permidid might be more related to this problem of uh, first positive negative, but also the relation between uh, one and multiplicity. And in here, uh, frankly, uh, That's why I said first, because for me, as I have a Lacanian approach, for me, it's maybe easy for me to, to answer it negatively and by, for example, uh, uh, quoting uh, the consequences of the signifiers in Lacan. And, uh, and if you observe, if you see the, uh, the consequences of the archetypes in people's life, and if you uh, see the consequences of the signifiers in people's life, you will see it's completely different. Uh, for example, uh, uh, Jung was the one who, uh, also, also, as I, we say, created, of course, I know it, he's not directly related to it, but he, he, was, he, he was kind of uh, an inspiration for uh, New Age, New Agers and so on. So of course, I know that the New Agers are, are, one, are people who are using Jung maybe in a, uh, Not, not in a good way, but nevertheless, uh, it's what I see. While when I read, when, when I see Lacan, Lacan is much more institutionalized today. It's really much more institutionalized. And in fact, you have two kinds of people. You have the, the institution, and then you have the, one, the ones who admire Lacan. And if you go, for example, on Twitter, Facebook, uh, whatever, if you see people who like Lacan, in general, they do not take Lacan seriously. It's something which is quite um, uh, obvious when you see these people, they, they, they do not take, take him seriously. It's very simple. Why? Because they are using memes. And I believe that if there is one thing which might be at the opposite of Lacanian uh, uh, doctrine is uh, meme, memes. Memes, are, frankly, we can go in this topic uh, Maybe it's another topic, but it's, I believe it's really at the opposite of, uh, and precisely because in itself it has some kind of uh, archetypes uh, aspect uh, in it. Uh, yes. I believe that. Yes. 
yeah yeah say more about the relations be between archetypes and memes and how memes might be diametrically opposite to the doctrine of signification in Lacan. Yes, but here I do not, either I do not want to force, to, to exaggerate also, the, because I, I know that some people, uh, we can make mistakes, for example, when, for example, when someone speaks, for example, we can make mistakes. Uh, in, uh, for example, I, I'm not like this kind of uh, <laughs> absolute and uh, because uh, for example, I have a nice anecdote is uh, in, the, in the beginning of Christianity, the main question was to know whether Jesus uh, pee. They wanted to know if Jesus was able to pee. Uh, so, and of course, when I say this, it's precisely it's a joke it's to know whether, you know, because the, the, at the beginning of Christianity, the, the, the question was what, was, what is the nature of Christ? Is he a man? Is he an angel? For example, there was a theory who said that he was an angel. So you know that angel in, uh, in Christianity, they have, they have a special nature they are between God and man. And so so he, whether he's an angel, he's a man, he's God and man, and man and God, and, <laughs> it's kind of, uh, and for the, so of course the question was, uh, at this time it was a very crucial, a very important question. Uh, it's, it's make, it makes us laugh today, but uh, at this time if you laugh, as this kind of question, you would have been probably killed. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a very important question. So of course, and it's a little bit in here, um, I believe it's also related to philosophy and psychoanalysis, precisely as I told you before, uh, people tend to, uh, they want too much from the psychoanalyst and also from the philosopher in the sense that they, they, for him, it's a kind of demigod, and he has an answer for everything, and, uh, and he's, 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 in some way, he's absolute. Uh, and, uh, but no, and, and also it's very funny because so I, I must say that I'm, 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 I'm interested in the philosophical, as I said, philosophical aspect of Lacan, and not so much about his uh, psychoanalytical aspect. But when, for example, I speak about philosophy, uh, random philosophy, not not, uh, not automatically on Lacan, people say to me. Uh, ah yes, sometimes it happens. Sometimes I, I philosoph, I, I do a little bit of philosophy, but uh, <laughs> they, they speak about it like it's uh, you know, like like you go. Uh, yes, sometimes I, I I play football and. It's an attitude. Yes, yes, it's, it's an attitude, but it's not even. Um, it's very hard because again, it's that's why it's related to the topic of difference. And that's why Deleuze wrote a book which is called uh, The Difference, uh, uh, I forget it, I believe it's The Difference of Repetition. No, 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 it's, it's Difference and Repetition. Yes, yes it's Difference and Repetition. Um, and here I believe that, uh, and Lacan also spoke about it, in, uh, in, I don't remember if he spoke about it in, uh, if he spoke about it in, in, in his interview, when he, for example, he made a parallel between Touquet in Greek and automaton. Uh, uh, I, I see what this, this concept means, but I, I, I'm not able to translate it, to translate, translate them uh, because I believe that they are kind of uh, idiomatic expressions of Greek. Yeah. Greek. Well, Tuke is, is chance. Yes, exactly. Um, but the problem is that Tuke, uh, when you say chance, it's a little bit, does not have the same meaning. Because when you say chance, it's, for example, chance is is positive. Yes, no, it's true, but it's it's a contingency almost. Uh, maybe it's closer mm. to, to that. 
Yes, exactly. Because it does leave way for a structured to TK in itself. Exactly, exactly. It might be more closer, more close to um, to to the real meaning of the word. But here you can see again uh, the relation. I believe in Lacan, it's all a question of relation, and especially I believe the core of the philosophy, if you want to call it a philosophy, the core of uh, Lacanian uh, philosophy is precisely the, the relation of the signifier and the signified. And in this relation, precisely this, this um, gap or this split, as you said, precisely it's not for nothing that Lacan spoke about split about the subject. It's yeah. related to that precisely because he's, he's, first of all, he's a Kojevian and he has a negativist approach mm. of things. And in, the, in this notion of splitting, the split of gap and so on, while in, in for example, in Jung, Jung uh, read Bergson, he, he was a fan of Bergson, and in fact, uh, Freud was very annoyed by the fact that Jung was a, was a fan of Bergson. And in his, in, in, in his letters, Freud said, I'm totally horrified, terrified. Jung is reading a philosopher. It's, oh my God, it's reading. A... <laughs> and and uh, it's very funny because you can also see in, in one of his books, uh, which is called uh, Introduction to uh, Psychoanalysis, he said, it's like the, uh, a, a sentence, he said, you can also read some book of Jung before Jung became a prophet. And so it's very, very funny. Uh, kind of uh, criticism but um, here uh, why uh, in Bergson precisely Bergson was uh, maybe more uh, Spinozian of course again I don't want to to add more and more but uh, again it's, it's the fact I know quite well Bergson and I can it's in his relation to Spinoza is in fact quite complicated too uh, but uh, here maybe it's, it's you can see the core because in, in uh, Bergson you have a kind of uh, vitalist approach. There is yeah. no gap. Uh, it's uh, plentiful and so on. But uh, the, the, the problem is that when you have a gap, in, in this is why Bergson is, is a genius. When you have a gap, it means often often that you want to feel something, mm -hmm. and, that, and that's why uh, Lacan always played on the you know the the, the role and. Uh, and he played, uh, for example, I believe here, um, it's in the interview, I will uh, quote, uh, quote it. <coughs> voilà, uh, here. Uh, he said, I will say it in French and then I will translate it. I, I need to say it, say it in French because, it will, because I need to explain yeah. what it means. C'est même là-dessus que le mot connaître prête à la métaphore bien connue. So it means it's on this subject that the word to know is uh, ready to be used in a metaphor, a very famous metaphor. And what he is speaking, I believe, I'm not sure it's, it's, it's that, but I believe, I strongly believe it's, it's that because uh, con, if you know con, if con it's an insult in French, it means yeah. dumb. But, but the, the origin of con, it's it's pussy, it's pussy. And then you have être. So mm. uh, yeah, being and pussy and, and all, so pussy mm. all. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. You, you see it, okay. Uh, and here, uh, I believe, uh, in, 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 in person, you have precisely this kind of uh, image. 
for example, Berson said, for example, imagine you want to read a book of uh, verses, you want to read poetry. You go to your, to your library, you buy a book, and then you see, you open the book, and what and you see, prose. You see that it is prose. You will see, oh, it's not verses, it's not poetry. You will say it's not poetry, but you will say it's not poetry. Why? While the first thing you saw was prose. So you will say, so while you see, first of all, prose, you will nevertheless say it's not poetry. In here, I believe it's, it's a totally uh, genius uh, text of Bergson. It means that there is a, a lack and negativism is related to a lack. Mm. And in Lacan, you have uh, this idea that you have a lack, but as it, it, I believe it's precisely what structural structure is about. And here, maybe it's, it's where he's, he's differentiating himself from Derrida. Uh, the lack is not something to be filled. And for example, there is another quote we can again use the text. So here, I will simply translate it directly. He said, to the opposite of sadness, there is something which is called the gay science, which is a, a virtue. Uh, right, because being, being sad is a sin in itself. Here, maybe you can see that it is a little bit Spinozian. But, uh, but, 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 but the, the rest of the, uh, the text is very also, I will say, say it. Uh, the, the virtue of the gay science is an example, not understanding, not understanding, but going in the sense to be close as possible of, of the sense, to be close uh, to sense right. uh, in, in order that this sense became um, uh, a virtue mm. and for this in, in the uh, in, in, uh, by this or um, in consequence enjoy decifying decifying um, and and he, he add uh, the gay science is a, re a return to sin yeah but i believe it, you can you can you, you have uh, your answer right uh, Yes, it's the relation between sadness and and a gay science is precisely that of structuralism to sense or truth. Yes, I I see it. Um, in in regards to Derrida, uh, he he asks, "What is a question?" You know, there there is an intrinsic gap exactly. in the question, which exactly. is automatically filled in the question itself yeah. because it, yeah, it exists yeah. as as yeah. a yes. Um, yeah. Here, here is, is, is Heidegger. It's not uh, Derrida, of course. Yeah. He, he said that, but he was Heideggerian because, uh, in fact, here he's simply taking a, a notion of, uh, of Heidegger, which is called provocation. Uh, provocation, uh, pro, before vocation, before the voice, uh, in, in a right. sense. Uh, right. it's, oh, yeah. it's like, uh, but you see, it means that there is always, always already something uh, implied in the question. Right. Yes. Can you clarify the the existence of verse as uh, commonly being referred to as poetry, and and how somehow prose, on the other hand, tends to be shunned as as not being poetry when it can be. But prose can be poetic in itself. Mm. 
maybe that leads to a a perfect negative negativism which is seen in in postmodern-ish writings the fact that philosophy has to be written in a poetic register is i think uh, something that uh, or a way a style of thinking that already expects the, the the gap you know and and instead of assuming that we can make an approximation to sense which is the pragmatic application um if anything uh post-structuralism is this this idea of fine we we cannot ever really approximate sense and and they give up on a possible reference of truth and so they create a new truth which really metonymically connects to whatever is being tried to said to say um i think we can connect it back to this question of uh, existence or non-existence, the validity of archetypes or not, um, in comparison to the signifiers, in fact, touching on on kernels of, of truth to some extent in, in the sense of um, signifiers of the real and the unconscious. I think that in these two, two styles of thinking, um, which can be either the, the vitalism of Bergson or, or a negativism, um, which I, th I think is the reaction to to many like Deleuze, for example, who still tries to incorporate vitalism. In, in the case of Nick Land, for example, who is this uh, sort of, to some degree, he's a he's a soft thinker, but he does reverse the the Deleuzean type. Or maybe we can think about it as as Nietzsche being a non-Bergsonian version of of Deleuze. Um, in that case, uh, it's, it's surrendering to the metonym, to, to the metonymy, to, uh, to any word being a possible synecdoche and saying that a metaphor has, has no, no place here, um, to, to dispense, to, to depend in excess of metaphor um which is you know poetry in itself i think is precisely the most metonymically that you can uh, express yourself and once again james joyce is a demonstration of this and, and psychosis and speech it's metonymies after metonymies um so i think that it's 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 not a flaw i think because i am i do come from more of the post-structuralist uh background rather than a structuralist one i don't think it's necessarily a flaw to to dispense of a, a structure that can exist on its own and to just uh you know uh introduce fleeting structures of anything um and recognize that that you know these these constellations can in fact disappear at any moment um and that that is the most faithful that it, we can be to to meaning or or truth Yes, uh, maybe here you have maybe a more um, uh, uh, perspective. Uh, as for James Joyce, uh, I don't know if he's, if, if he's only using a, a metonymy. Uh, I believe there are a lot of um, metaphors. Uh, in fact, it's why Lacan liked uh, James Joyce. is precisely for his metaphor. And in fact, I know the, the opposition that Lacan made between metonymy and metaphor. And in fact, Lacan uh, for him, uh, metaphor was more important. Uh, it was uh, 
because uh, in, in fact here again <laughs> it's a, a relation between the signifier and the signified uh, in, a, in a way metonymy always implied a, a, a relation even a small even very small relation between a signifier and signified yes a metaphor it's, it's, it seems at least to not be the case or, at, or maybe it's very reduced um, uh, then as for uh, to clarify um, what I said about uh, prose and uh, verse, uh, yes, you are speaking about what we call uh, uh, poetic prose. Yes. Uh, yes, of course, it, it exists. But the, here, I believe it's out of the topic because uh, the, the, for Bergson, it, was, it wasn't a problem. It was just, just an, an example. He was not uh, saying the same. <laughs> there is not uh, in, in between, uh, between poetry and, and uh, for example, uh, let's imagine you want a, a book of uh, cooking and you see, uh, uh, you buy uh, a book of po uh, prose, uh, poetic prose. So you will open the book and you say, you will say, oh, it's not a book of cooking. So it's, it's, it's exactly the same. It does not change the, the example of uh, Bergson. Okay. Can you can you say more about uh, about this distinction that that Bergson is making in itself? Get, uh, I haven't understood the image of the difference in. And verse versus prose. But, uh, it's not uh, no, no, no precisely. It's, it's not uh, versus. It's not like Star Wars and Akin versus Obi Wan. No. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's simply, uh, 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 if, uh, for example, you want something, you want to read a book on on, on a precise topic, and, and uh, you will buy a book, but it's not on its on this topic. It's a mistake. You make a mistake. Uh -huh. You buy a book. Yeah. And you think, oh, it's a book on, on my topic. So you will open the book. And we say, oh, it's not a book on my topic, but 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 we say it's not a book on my topic, but nevertheless, it's not a book which is not about uh, not your topic. So the, the topic of the book, which seems to not be about your topic, is another topic, and it's simply first of all a book on another topic before being a book of another topic which you are not interested in, and that's it's the example of Bergson. And what's the relation to being and knowing here? To being and knowing, yeah. uh, uh, frankly, I don't believe that Lacan, Merson, uh, I mean, made the difference between being and knowing uh, for a simple reason. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not something that that Merson uh, is not does not like make a distinction uh, between. Uh, of uh, yes, there's always some uh, precisely this what Lacan, Merson. Uh, Person is a little bit ambiguous, ambiguous too, because in um, here I must say that it is. Um, I said it because uh, the fact is that Bergson was used by a lot of Spinozian, and is and a lot of people see him as a monist, as someone with monist. So it's true that there is a kind of uh, monist uh, aspect of life in Bergson. Uh, Nevertheless, in fact, it is it is not true for the simple reason that he said. Person uh, was a part of what we call the French uh, spiritualist school, and he was he, he believed in uh, in the soul, the soul. He believed yeah. in in the afterlife. Yes. So as as at the moment when you believe in that afterlife, well, okay, you can still say that there is some way you can accommodate and say that yes, the afterlife can be a part of life, and it's true. And in fact, you see it a little bit with Jankelevich. And that's why Jankelevich is probably the best. And in fact, I must say, and here you can see how, how objective and neutral I am, because even if I, have, I do not read uh, Bergson as, as a Spinozian, there is two 
school of uh, Bersanian, there is the Spinozian school and the Catholic school. So you have the, 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 the Spinozian school, for example, Jean Kilevich and Rosset, and there you have the Catholic school, Jacques Chevalier, um, Jacques Chevalier and uh, I forgot the, 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 uh, I forgot the name, uh, the, the other was also um, uh, in the same vein, in the sense that uh, they were not, even if I believe that the Catholic school was maybe more close to the philosophy of Bergson, the, nevertheless, they are, uh, you can see quite clearly that they are not as talented as the Spinozian school. Jean Kievich is very talented. He's very, 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 uh, his commentaries of Bergson are very, very good. Well, if you read uh, 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 Chevalier, and I believe the other one was Guillon, I hope I'm not mistaken. I'm not mistaken. Uh, if you read them, uh, they are not as talented. You can quite see, clearly see they are not talented. Because when, uh, at the beginning, I said, when I see these two schools, for me, if the Spinozians were more, most famous, I, I said to myself, yes, because they are leftists. Okay, they are leftists, so they are most Because, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but the Catholic school of Bergson, and here you can see another ambiguity with Bergson. Bergson was also quite conservative. He was a Jew and so on, but he was, a, he was a very conservative. And at this time, uh, uh, the, so the, the, the French, French Jews, we need to know that in, in France you have different kind of Jew, you have the, so you have the, so of course, you, uh, you have the um, uh, Serafad who came in France after uh, the, the end of the, of, yes, yeah. uh, who, went in, who went in France in, at the end of the French colony, and, and you have also the Ashkenaz who went in France during the pogrom in Russia and the pogrom in uh, Nazi Germany, and, and you have a, a, a tree a third, I mean, a third yeah. uh, people of you. No, 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 no. Uh, here, uh, here, here, because uh, you have, uh, in France, you have a kind of people of Jew who, are, who, are, who lived in France from a very, very long time. And so I don't know if they are uh, Ashkenaz or Sephardi, they are just Jew, Jewish people who, who lived in France since the Middle Age. Right. So, okay. okay. And, and then, and then, and then uh, during the, the beginning of the, of the 20th century, you have two other kind of Jew who came in France. That is to say, the Sephard who went from the, the because because through the decree Crémieux, who was a decree uh, a decree uh, who allowed Jewish from French colony to be French, and then you have the Ashkenaz who went into France because they were persecuted in, the, in yeah. because of the Nazi and uh, Russian. Yeah, and, and uh, e even before that, there there's uh, strange relations between Ashkenazi and Sephardics, but but yes, yeah, in relation and, to the Inquisition and, and all of that. And, and, and so and so you need, you need to know that the, the, the French Jew, the one who, were, who lived in France, in France from a long time, uh, they were very patri patriotic. They were very and uh, uh, integrated to the mm. French society. Uh, for example, uh, Dreyfus. Uh, and so on. they were all uh, Jewish, and they were very patriotic and very integrated. And, so, and, and when the, the Jewish Sephard and Ashkenaz went into France, of course, the Sephard and Ashkenaz were not as integrated as them. And, they were, and for example, the, the big difference between the French Jew and the French Sephard and French Ashkenaz is that the, the, these two people were still very religious, and, and, and they were not patriotic. And so the French Jew were very angry toward 
uh, the Ashkenaz and uh, and, uh, and Sephard. And for example, Berson was a part of the French Jew. So they were very secular, integrated Jew, uh, and sometimes very nationalist. And in fact, Berson was very nationalist. He wrote a, a big, uh, very interesting letters against Germany and so on, and, and analysis with, between French philosophy and German philosophy. It's very, it seems a little bit, we, we, you, when you read them, you say, oh yes, but of course they are, uh, he, he's nationalist, so he, he will defend France and, and that's it. But, but nevertheless, they are still quite interesting because I, I believe he, make, he makes fair point. But, and so the ambiguity of Bergson and not only Bergson, but a lot of French Jews is that uh, the, they were, in a way, they, they were anti-Semitic in the sense that they were, um, they were very angry. And for example, if you read the, uh, I will close the, the anecdote, uh, uh, don't worry. Uh, if you read the, 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 the last papers of Bergson, he said, in it, 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 it's quite shocking if you, if you think about it, it is, but at this time it was not as shocking, of course. And of course, you also need to add that he was not aware of, uh, of uh, a Nazi camp and a concentration, ex extermination. He, he was not aware about this. And he said, I, be I believe, so it, it was in 1940, so you know that uh, Germany uh, won against France and France was occupied by Germany. And the, the Jews needed to, needed to be um, recorded in, uh, in, by, by, by uh, the French authorities because it was the re regime of Vichy. And so they, they, were, uh, they were recording the Jews to deport them and so on, or, or to classify and, and then maybe deport them and so on. And, and so Berson wrote in, uh, in, uh, in his last paper, he wrote, I believe that the situation today in Europe of Jews are, is partially, uh, so I don't want to say a wrong word, so I think it's, it's deserved, yes. He said, I believe that the situation of Jews in Europe, at least in France, is deserved. They deserve the situation. In here, because that word? Of went... Sorry? Repeat that word. Deserved. Uh, I will, I will, I will uh, write it because uh, of Mark's sure. accent. Sorry. Sure. Uh, ah, yes. So, yes. So, why do the Jews deserve this anti Semitism? Uh, 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 I need to add it. Berson. Uh, I'm not saying they deserve it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I will have a lot of uh, problems if I say that they were. No, yeah. no, it's, no it's okay. <laughs> of course, but in, in, in fact, it's, it's, it's what they said. For podcast so. purposes, yes. Yes, of course. So, and, and uh, so Berson, he said precisely because the French Jews were very integrated and secular, and the Jewish Ashkenaz and, 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 and Sephard were very religious, and, they, and of course they were immigrants, so they, they do not felt as French people, so they were not integrated to the French society, and for this reason the French people had to so, because as I said, it was quite, I mean it was quite shocking in the sense that there was a lot of persecution, and Uh, in, a in a few years, there were the majority of Jewish people was completely changed. So, uh, because for a long time, it was the same Jew in France. For, for the Middle Age to the 19th century, it was the same Jews who lived in France. And in, in 30 years, it was completely changed. And all the Jews were uh, completely different. The majority, mm -hmm. I mean. So is there a difference in the style of thinking between the Ashkenaz patriotic Jew versus, or the assimilated Jew versus the immigrant Sephardic one. Yes, exactly. There was a kind of, um, for a simple reason that, uh, and for example, the Ashkenaz were very, um, they, they were, in general, they were the one, um, I believe, uh, who went uh, 
when, when Israel was created, they went directly in Israel. They, they did not stay, or, or, or they went in America, for example. Mm. And uh, so, so here you, are, you have a, a kind of defense. But, but again, I don't believe that it is uh, related to, um, to, um, to, uh, to Israel or uh, America. Or, uh, I believe it's mostly related to the, the religion because uh, uh, the, the, the French, French Jews, they are very, in a sense, if, if, if I may use uh, today words, you know, we say today uh, culturally colonized. In a sense, they were, in, their, in their minds, they were very uh, fr francophile, very uh, for France, and, and they really wanted to be uh, very uh, uh, sneaky. They, don't, they did not like to be seen as Jew. So they were hiding their Jew Jewishness. Yes, crypto Judaism. Yes, exactly. They were, they were hiding their Jew Jewishness. And they wanted to be integrated. So when they saw all of these Jewish people coming from Africa or Eastern Europe, we absolutely did not care about uh, France and uh, French tradition and so on. Right. They, right. Were, they were very angry about it. So that's why, that's can why you, for example, can we, make, said, uh, uh, can we make a parallel between the vitalism of Berg, Bergson as a style of thinking and, and the Deridian différence as you know having them being uh, to different generations of Jews in, in France. Maybe there's there's something to say there about structuralism and post-structuralism. Uh, yeah, I believe that, but for example, Derrida is not, uh, is not the same people. Uh, he, Derrida was Jew, but he was Sephardi. And he lived in French Algeria. Yeah. They were not the same uh, Jew, Jewish people, while Berson was part of uh, the traditional French Jews. Exactly. Uh, Yes, but, and then for the difference, I must say that Berson was quite uh, criticized. Uh, Berson today, if, if, if I go in America and I say, do you know Henri Berson? They will say, no, I don't know Henri Berson. Right, and he was one of the the highest ranking public intellectuals yes. at this time. Yes, in this time, exactly, exactly, very exactly. Yes, he was, the same. He, he, yes, but Derrida today is still more famous. Than, but, and, and why? Because Berson was quite criticized. He was very heavily criticized by a lot of people, and especially, so the, the most famous one is Olitzer, who was a friend of Sartre, and Sartre also was very, 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 very criticized, criticized of, of uh, he criticized a lot Berson, and Berson was completely, completely destroyed, uh, even Lacan criticized, even the really philosophers uh, criticized Lacan, the, the, the only yes, one. Being in the focal point of everyone. Yes, yes, yes. But, but the, the, the only one who did not criticize him was Jankelevich. But even today, Jankelevich, he, he is very talented and so on, but uh, he's not famous. He, was, he wasn't famous. And, and Berson was completely... But today, I must say that, nevertheless, Berson tends to be a little bit um, rehabilitated. He tends to be a little bit more famous today uh, for uh, some reason, because uh, I believe mainly because uh, people tend to be more moderate today than they were uh, before. Politically, yeah. Mm. And so, uh, for, as for uh, the difference between uh, uh, Derrida and Berson, uh, I would say that there are a lot of difference between them, and uh, and you need a, a thesis to at least. Yeah, but not, not, but po poetically, can we conceptualize them as being respective symbols for Joseph Bergson, uh, structuralism or a proto-structuralism, and in Derrida as, as a manifestation of post-structuralism? Um, for clear, then I, I insist. I, I don't think that's uh, because, of course, we, we are doing in some way we are doing philosophy, 
and people believe generally that when you do philosophy, you can make a, a relations between everything and everyone. And I, I do not believe that you can make a relation between Derrida and, and Bergson. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <coughs> All right. So I'm going to wrap this up. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you. Like for me, it was really interesting for me to observe this whole discussion. I had several uh -huh. points that I'll send it to you later on Discord. But uh -huh. it's a pleasure having you. Is there any way, like, do you have to plug anything? Like, is there any way people can reach you if they need to get in touch with you? Like, uh, you can uh, you can put my uh, Twitter. So Twitter is, uh, I believe it's arrobas. It's, it's, it's simply Erklans. So like, like my, my name in, on Discord. Yes, at H-E-R-C-L, what is it? I-N-Z-E. Or Kleins. Yes. I-N-Z-E. I-N-Z-E. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's it. Awesome.